Let us pray together. God, as we come into your house this morning, we offer our praise, our thanksgiving, our worship, and most of all, our love to you. Father, never let us forget the love that you have for us, the love that sent Jesus to the cross to die, the love that raised him from the dead three days later, and the love that reigns in our world today through you because of him. Help us respond to that love. At whatever level you desire, Lord, speak to us. Show us where we have fallen from the height of the relationship we once had with you. And restore unto us the joy of our salvation as we serve you, motivated by love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Well, good morning and welcome to First Baptist Church. We're glad that you're here this morning. And if you're one of our members or regular attenders, we appreciate your faithfulness and glad that you're here. But we especially want to welcome any of you who might be visiting with us today. If this is your first time worshiping here at First Baptist, we are glad that you chose to join with us in worship of our Lord. And we pray that your attendance here today will be a blessing to you and that you'll come back soon. And uh, for all of us, we ask that you take your order of service. There's a flap in here that has a place for you to register your attendance. If you'll tear that off and just register your attendance with us today, we would appreciate that very much. Uh, There's a place on there for members to indicate any changes in your information, addresses, phone numbers, email, things like that. And on the back, there's a place for prayer requests. Uh, we have a prayer team that meets during our services, and uh, as soon as we receive our offering, your, these cards will go in the offering. You can return them to us that way, and any prayer requests will be taken to the prayer room, and your prayer will be uh, prayed over today before we leave church. Uh, so if you have a particular prayer request that you'd like to let us know about, use that backside of that little form to do that. We want to take a moment now to welcome each other to this service today and we just do that by asking you to stand up and just greet those around you and members if you see someone that that you don't know introduce yourself to them and make them feel welcome today let's stand and greet one another
and be seated. All right, boys and girls, I'm so glad to see you in God's house this morning. It's such a beautiful day. And we, what did we have this week that we needed so much? Rain. We got some rain this week. That's right. And God blessed us with rain. And we pray that he'll just bless us today in worship with the, with the pouring out of his spirit as well. Jonathan Rakestraw has the Happy Club bag. And Jonathan, I just want to say what sharp-looking slacks you have on today, buddy. You look mighty sharp. Very nice. Can I see the bag? Let's see what he brought in there. Okay. That's a Disney hat with a propeller. Disney World 2013. Pictures of Jonathan with Donald Duck in front of the train station. The whole group. When were you at Disney World? Was it last week? Two weeks ago? Maybe three. Three weeks ago. Jonathan, you brought, let's see, a button first visit. And there's your pass, your ticket. Is Mickey Mouse in here? Here's a book. Mickey and Friends. Mickey and Friends. You want me to read that instead of preach this morning? Yeah, no. No, no applause from the... The audience. Oh, this is one of those. How do you turn this on? And you wear it around your neck. Is there anything else in here? Why did you bring all the Disney World stuff, Jonathan? Any, any reason special? Because. You love? Did you have a good time? Yeah. It's a great visit. Boys and girls, you may not know it, but I have a Disney hat with a propeller on it. <laughs> and I wear it. Every year when we go to Disney World, oh, still, how long had to turn it off? Does it go off by itself? No. Okay, thanks. <laughs> I don't know how to work these things. So I, we go to Disney World, and we're going this year, the end of April, 1st of May, and we go to play and have fun and uh, just be big kids, just like y'all like to do. It's always fun to play. And, you know, I think about that, and I, I know that God wants us to have fun. And boys and girls, I just, I don't think you can have fun without God in your life. And he wants us to be happy. You know, there's some Christians that just walk around, oh, it's another day, you know, I'm supposed to be serious and sad because I'm a Christian. Y'all know anybody like that? No? Good. Because you're not supposed to be that way. When you, when you become a Christian, when you love Jesus, thank you. And when you serve him, it's the happiest person that you can possibly be. And so I hope one day y'all will know that Jesus loves you and you invite him into your heart as your Lord and Savior. And when you do, you have so much fun. It's like you're at Disney World all the time because Jesus is living in you. And that brings the joy and happiness and fun in life that everybody looks for, but nobody seems to be able to find because they don't look for it in the right place. They find it only in Jesus. And so it's like, it's just like a, being with him is so much fun, boys and girls. And it's like being at Disney World. Jonathan, I know y'all had a great time at Disney World. And we go every year and Catherine turned, you know, when she turned 20, I said, Catherine, are you too old to go to Disney World? She said, no. So we keep going and keep making memories and having fun. So let's pray right now and let's thank God for, for happy times and for giving us the joy uh, that comes from being in a relationship with him. I'm going to pray and you pray with me. Let's go. Dear God, thank you for the happiness and the joy that you brought into our world. Help us to be happy in Jesus. In his name we pray. 
Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jonathan. I'm so glad you shared your Disney World vacation with us. I know you had fun. Here, I'm, I'm not, I don't want that propeller to break off. Mine kept wanting to break off. So you take care of that. You know what I like doing, boys and girls, when I put my propeller hat on at Disney World? I get underneath a downdraft like at Splash Mountain, and it really blows hard, and the propeller starts spinning. And I look at a little child in front of me in line. I say, if this lifts me off the ground, will you pull me back down? And they go, okay, okay. (laughs) So that's always fun to do. Don't let it pull you off the ground, though, Jonathan, okay? Here's your Disney stuff. All right. Miss Karen, it's it's a, oh, you can take this back. It's a girl's turn, isn't it? Addie? Oh, Addie, here you go, Granberry. Take that uh, bag home and bring back something special next week for us. All right, thank you, boys and girls. You can go with Miss Karen to Children's Worship if you'd like. gospel of Mark alone, we can read that the disciples were amazed. Who is this man, they asked, that even the winds and waves obey him? And when Jesus cast out the demon and the man began to speak, you know, the man that uh, he cast the demons into the pigs and they ran off the cliff, the crowds were amazed. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority. When the man who he healed jumped up and grabbed his mat, The stunned onlookers were amazed. Do you think that a cynical, culturally relevant, postmodern congregation can stand amazed in the presence of Christ Jesus the King? Will you stand as we sing together?
Peter Liu, Bao Zhu Guo, still the same name. Also, I'm the happiest person Happy. in this whole house. <laughs> we all happiest person. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, because you are the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, you are the Creator of the universe. That make us, you are uh, the prince, prince, the princess. That's why we are the happiest person on this earth, Father. And also, you give us some job to do, to be part of your ministry and give return the part of the the the, the gift, the the grace you give to us, Father. Return to you to continue your ministry to reach the unreached, to preach the gospel to all to the world, Father. Yeah, thank you for that, Father. Yeah, pray you continue to bless this this church and the, and the member of this church, Father, and the, to continue to to love us, ne- never let us go, Father. I, I pray in Jesus' name, Amen.
Thank you, choir. This is the first Sunday of Lent. You know, this past week, Mardi Gras was Tuesday, Ash, Ash Wednesday on Wednesday, and seven Sundays leading up to Easter. And the purpose of Lent, the Baptist Church has been kind of reluctant to, to follow this schedule in the Christian church. But the whole purpose of Lent is just to prepare us for Easter. It's so easy to let all the distractions and busyness and, and activities of the spring get in the way of, of preparing us for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross on Good Friday and the power of the resurrection displayed on Easter Sunday. So for seven weeks, we'll be preparing ourselves mentally and and spiritually and emotionally for Easter. So when it arrives seven Sundays from today, we'll be able to celebrate it fully with excitement and enthusiasm. I enjoy getting into series during the season of Lent, and, and there are several sevens in the Bible that you can choose from. Seven is a popular number. It represents fullness, completeness. But uh, I was, in the past several weeks, I've been thinking about the seven letters to the churches in Revelation. There are seven churches that John writes to, having been given a revelation by God. And um, I want to do these seven churches because even though there's something good in each of the church, there's a challenge that each church faces as well. And, and as I wrote in my Beacon article this week, First Baptist Tifton is a great church by any measure, but no church is perfect. And if we can learn from the mistakes of others, if we can learn from our own mistakes, our own weaknesses, our own failures, then maybe we will be even more so at the end of seven weeks, maybe the kind of church that God desires us to be. The sermon is entitled Drifting into Mediocrity, because that's what I see the church in Ephesus doing. And it comes, the sermon is Revelation 2, 1 through 7. Chapter 1 kind of introduces the whole book of Revelation In chapter 2 and 3 are letters to the seven churches. And the first one is the church at Ephesus. And this is what John writes to the church, having been given this revelation from God to speak to the churches. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now we're told right at the end of chapter 1 that the seven golden lampstands represent the seven churches. And so Christ is walking among the seven churches, and one at a time he picks out a church, tells them what they're doing well, tells them where their weaknesses are and what they need to do to improve. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear evil men, but have tested those who call themselves apostles but are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. They have forsaken their first love, some translations say. Remember then from what you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and will remove your lampstand. I'll remove the light from the church, from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Shall we bow together? Father, I thank you for First Baptist Tifton, for our strengths, for the resources, for the people who are available here to serve you. 
But God, if there is any area in our ministry and in our own lives where we have left our first love, where we aren't as close to you and motivated by the love that you have placed within us as we once were, then Father, confront us and challenge us and call us back close to yourself that we might not settle for mediocrity, but be empowered to serve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, for a lot of reasons, the book of Revelation has been often ignored because of its obscured and veiled language and symbolism and imagery. Monsters appear in it, one coming out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, another one coming up out of the earth with lamb's horns and a dragon's voice, and there is thunder and lightning and hail and smoke and fire and and blood. And, And for a young Christian, it can be intimidating, it can be frightening to read this revelation. The whole book seems to be a a, a confused, mysterious vision, but it says in Revelation 1.1 that it is a revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. And then later on, it promises in verse 3 to be a blessing to all those who read it aloud, and it's a blessing to all those who hear and who keep what is written therein. At the end of the book of Revelation, it says there's a warning, a solemn warning to anyone who would tamper with its message, even either adding anything to it or taking anything away from it. And not only that, but over the past 2,000 years, this book has been uh, challenged and, and brought comfort to generations of Christians, and it would be a mistake to neglect it, as, as a lot of Christians so often do. Well, the first chapter is the introduction. Chapters 2 and 3 contain the seven letters given by a revelation to John to the seven churches of Asia Minor. If we could put a map up, um, the seven churches of Asia Minor are close to this island called Patmos, which is in the eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea. John has been exiled to Patmos, and he's there probably in his 90s, Um, having a vision that God has given him a revelation of what's going on in these seven churches in Asia Minor. It's modern-day Turkey now. And and each church, they're doing something right, but they're also making mistakes. And God gives John this revelation, and he writes a letter to each of the churches. And I almost envision John, you know, seeing the church in his mind and maybe one day hoping to go back and, and see how those seven churches are faring after they receive this revelation from God. And although these letters were written for a particular church in a particular time, I think they provide instruction and encouragement and warning for every church of every age. Because every church will find itself reflected to some extent or another in in one or more of these seven churches in Turkey today. So I think they're relevant to us in 2013. First Baptist Church, Tifton. Each letter is a certain form. It talks about the speaker. It talks about the church. And then the verdict gives a word of of commendation. And then it gives a verdict on the church. And then Jesus follows with a solemn command and promise. He says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The first letter is to the letter at Ephesus. 
Ephesus is an interesting city. It's not the capital of Asia Minor, but it probably should have been. It is the largest city in that area. It is, has wealth. It has corruption. It has commerce. It has politics. It has religion. Ephesus is, is a crossroads on um, the eastern seaport of the Mediterranean. There are roads from the north and south and east that converge in Ephesus. There are rivers that flow into Ephesus. So there's all kind of trade and commerce and people coming there and, and all kinds of religions going on there. There's a huge temple uh, to Diana that is there. In the Romans, it's known Artemis. Over in uh, Acts 19, there's a whole chapter of what Paul does while he's at Ephesus in Romans 19. Uh, he goes to Ephesus. He spends longer there on his second missionary journey, two years, than he spends anywhere else because he knows it is an important outpost. He knows that if he can get a church, even a fledgling body of believers established there, it could have a huge impact on all the travelers and all the tradesmen and all the folks coming in and going out. As I mentioned, there's a temple there. It took 250 years to build. It's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. We had the opportunity to, to travel to Greece and to Turkey several years ago, about 13 years ago, 1999. And we got to go to Patmos. And I stood there in the little grotto where, where John was living, where he had been exiled, and was able to put my hand on the granite outcropping that had been smoothed by thousands of pilgrims over the year, and I could just imagine John sitting in that little, that little cut into that edge of that granite cliff and looking out over the glassy sea that surrounded Patmos and looking toward the east, toward Asia Minor, and envisioning those seven churches and getting this revelation from God and wanting to encourage them and challenge them and still confront them with the errors they were making. When we left Patmos, we actually sailed to, to Ephesus and we got to walk through the streets of Ephesus, and I saw the, the ancient artifact of the Temple of Diana. It was, it was a monstrosity. They spared no expense in building it. Uh, people brought all their wealth, their jewels, they put it everywhere. Uh, it was a, 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 a fertility cult. And so people worshiped there, and all kinds of evil was going on within its precincts. As a matter of fact, I was reading this week that even if you were a criminal, if you could get to the temple of Diana, you would be granted amnesty. And not only inside the temple precincts, but within a bowshot perimeter of the temple, if a criminal could get within a bowshot perimeter, he would be given amnesty. So you can imagine all the kinds of criminals that made their way to that temple to try to avoid some kind of prosecution. It was a terrible place. And, and just as an aside, it's kind of a funny story. We walked down, turned to the right and walked down the road in Ephesus. And at the bottom of the hill is this huge amphitheater that's, that seated 50,000 people and a huge stage. And, and it's just amazing to me how without public address systems, you know, the, the acoustics were so perfect that one person standing on the stage could speak, and in this 50,000-seat amphitheater that had been cut out of granite, the, the seats were uh, in granite staircases. I said, Susan, go up on the stage and sing. She said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I said, yeah, yeah, go do that. They, no, I don't see any guards around here. Just go do it. So she walked out into the middle of the stage, and she snapped her fingers a few times to find where the center of acoustics were, and she launched into an Italian aria. I think it was Quando Minvo. And thousands of tourists just kind of 
stopped. And, you know, they, I guess they thought they were recording something or filming something. I was over in the corner going, yeah, that's my wife. Yeah, yeah. It was so, and it was, it was just amazing to me how the, the sound just reverberated around that entire amphitheater. It was so much fun. It was a, Ephesus was a large, idolatrous city, and yet nestled in the midst of this evil was a band of Christians who were worshiping the one true God. Thanks to Paul, who had been there about 30 years earlier and established this fledgling church. Jesus, through John, commends them. He says in verses 2 and 3, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear evil men, but have tested those who call themselves apostles but are not, and found them to be false. I know, Jesus I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. God knows when we do well. And he's given this revelation to John. Tell the Ephesian Christians they're, they're running the race well. Encourage them. Commend them. They're doing so well. And the Ephesian Christians, believe me, needed encouragement. But if you follow, follow the corollary of that, if God knows when we do well... Then he also knows when we don't do so well. He knows everything. It reminds me of a story I heard of a, a man who, who brought a new friend with him to a coffee shop. And you know how in the morning about 9 o'clock the men in the small town gather and they drink coffee and they solve all the world's problems by 9.15 and then they go home. And so that kind of, that group and the men were gathered and, and uh, before the, this other guy could introduce his new friend to the group, they got launched into a heated discussion. And, and some words of choice were flying. I don't care what you bleep think. You're one crazy bleep and, and that's the craziest idea. And you can go back and tell your bleeping friends I said so and you can put it in their pipe and smoke it. And before they could go any further, the man said, said guys, guys, I want to introduce y'all to the new preacher in town. And they all scattered. You know, that happens to me a lot. By the way, I'll see people whispering and I'll walk up and they'll stop talking completely or, or they'll just scatter. And it gives me a, some kind of insecurity complex or something. But it's amazing to me. God hears and sees everything we say. He, he knows everything we do. And, and believe me, his listening and seeing is a lot more significant than any preacher's walking up on a conversation. He knows what we're saying. He, he knows what we're doing. And You know, he can say to us, as he said to the Ephesian Christians, I know your deeds. I know what you're doing. You're not hiding anything from me. And mostly, God gives John a word of commendation to the Ephesian Christians. You are running well. I know your deeds. You're doing things well. And you're doing so, verse 3, for the right reason. It says, bearing up for my name's sake. You're doing it in my name. You're persevering. For my name, their motive was good. Their, their reasons were pure. They labored faithfully. They remained pure and they did so for the right reason, for the namesake of God. They were doing it for the right reason. But one thing is lacking. And this is where they get hammered. Verses 4 and 5. I have this against you. No church is perfect. I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. You have abandoned your first love. 
Remember then from what you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. The church at Ephesus was doing well. But they had fallen from the heights of early devotion. And they had descended into the plain of mediocrity. And Baptist, Baptist vernacular, and you hear this all the time, they were backsliders. They were backsliding. And you know what I'm talking about when I use that word. They had abandoned their first love. Well, what was their first love? Well, in the Old Testament, God often talks about his love for Israel. In the New Testament, Jesus talks about his love for the church. And so when a church abandons its first love, it must be talking about the love it has for Christ. Because the church is the bride of Christ. And when we abandon our first love, that means we're abandoning the love that that relationship made possible. The love that 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 nurtured. So they had at one time, the church at Ephesus had been totally in love with Jesus and, and totally devoted to him. And you can go back and read Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And over and over again, Paul is challenging, 30 years earlier, he's challenging the Ephesians to love one another and to nurture one another and to care for one another. But over the last 30 years, maybe they were falling into some kind of comfortable routine, as often happens in love relationships. You remember what it was like when you were falling in love with your spouse and courting and, and, and getting married in those first few years of marriage, how wonderful it was and and how, how you just couldn't wait to spend time together and, and you talked about everything and looked forward to being together. But over the years, you kind of lapse into a, a sense of complacency and comfort. And those things you once did don't seem as, to be as important as they once were. That's the way it is in the nature of relationship. And, and I'll be honest, in my own relationship with God, I, you know, I wish I could say it's a, it's a steady climb upward and upward, ever highward, ever upper, further up, more and more. But, you know, I, I, honestly, it's more like mountains and valleys. And, and I don't live on the mountaintop all the time, but they're valleys. And, and what I try to do is when I know I'm going down is start doing those things that, that once were important in my relationship that I might return to them. Because here's the danger. If you're working hard, as the Ephesian Christians were doing, enduring patiently, bearing up for my name's sake, if you're doing all those things, if you got your sleeves rolled up and, and you're just going great guns for God and you're serving Him, but your love is fading, how long is it going to last? How long can you hold out, motivated, by your own energy, your own intensity, your own desires. It's not going to happen. I see this all the time. People come into the church and, and they're excited and, they're, and maybe they're recently saved and their relationship with God is, is red hot and they're on fire and they want to go to work and we put them to work and, and we keep working them and we keep working them and, and years later, they burn out. Because we've worked them to death and, and that, that initial relationship they had with Jesus has, has kind of faded a little bit. And instead of spending time with Jesus, we, you know, they spend more time working. And if you don't have that close connection to the source, if you don't stay close to the love, the, the origin of the love, then you will fall, you'll backslide, it'll be inevitable. 
I don't know what the Ephesian Christians were doing. Maybe as they fell out of love with God, maybe they were falling out of love with those folks walking down the street, the pagans in that Ephesian environment that were totally lost. And, and maybe they didn't witness to them. Maybe they didn't go out on the streets and tell them about Jesus. Maybe they didn't want to have anything more to do with those, those worldly people walking around the streets of Ephesus. You know, you can go through all the motions in the church. You can be everything the church is supposed to be. And as we talked about last week in 1 Corinthians 13, if you can do a lot of good things, but you have not love, you gain nothing. It means nothing. If you, you can do everything the church is supposed to do, but if you lose your love for others, Jesus will say to us what he said to those Ephesian Christians. I have this against you. You have lost your first love. Wow, what an indictment. What an indictment. What do you do when you lose your first love? Jesus gives us an answer. Verse 5. Remember then from what you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Remember. What do you do when you start backsliding? What do you do when you realize your relationship isn't what it once was? You remember what it used to be. I remember. What, what was I doing when I was walking closely to Jesus? I was having a quiet time every day and I couldn't wait to spend time with him. And, and I didn't watch the clock and it didn't matter how long it was. But then I missed a couple days. And then those days turned into weeks and, and then... You know, I wasn't really spending that much time with him at all. And I've got to go back and remember what I was doing and get those books out and get those notes out and and start again and remember what I was doing and then repent. Repent, verse 5, and do the works you once did. Decide that you want to go back in fellowship with God as close as you were, doing those things that mattered, that kept you in close relationship with him. Repent, remember, repent, and then recommit. Start doing those things again. And and you can't do it under your own power because once you begin to backslide, Satan has you in his grip and and he's going to say, you know what, it doesn't really, you're busy today. You can skip time with God. It won't really matter. But you just got to say, God, I need you to help me today. I can't do this by myself. I want to start doing those things again when when my love for you was red hot and and I was close to you and we were in fellowship together and and I thought about you throughout the day and I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to make a decision without you involved in it. I didn't want to operate under my own power. I wanted you to be involved in every area, every aspect of my life. And God's spirit within you will, will be rekindled in that love. You'll remember what he did for you. Remember the love that he has for you. Think about the cross. Think about the crucifixion. Think about the resurrection. That's what Lent does. Think about how he revealed his love for you and how in response you can love him back. God, that's what I want more than anything else. Bring me back because if if I try to keep going through the motions as a Christian, if, if we keep going through the motions as a church, but we have abandoned our first love, we're just spinning our wheels. And it won't be long before we'll burn out. Because honestly, under our own power, serving God, we can't survive. And that's why we need His infusion of power and His infusion of love and the infusion of His Spirit daily. Daily. 
to accomplish the things He wants us to do without giving up and throwing in the towel and walking away. If you do that, verse 7, Jesus says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That's it. It's just, it's an encouragement to persevere, to keep going, to keep doing it. You can't do it by yourself. You've got to do it with the love of God, charging you up, empowering to do what you cannot do by yourself. And if you will persevere, I will grant him to eat of the tree of life. What's that? It's in Genesis. It's at the end of Revelation. It just represents eternal life. You will have the promise of eternal life that God has given you, and you will be in the paradise of God, which is it's not a garden. It's just the fellowship of the eternal Father forever and ever and ever. Well, I was looking around this week for an illustration of of what I, I could say that would just really drive this home. And I need to thank the Carnival Cruise Line for dropping me one in a silver platter. You followed how the Triumph was in the Gulf of Mexico, had an engine fire. What happened? It drifted around the Gulf of Mexico for five days. Passengers were complaining. Finally, some tugboats had to come and attach tow lines and They were going to drag it to to Mexico, but it had drifted 90 miles northward, and so all of a sudden the Bay of Mobile was closer, and after a couple days they finally got it into the bay, into the harbor, and the folks came off the ship, and they got down on their hands and knees and kissed the ground, and most of them said, I'll never go on another cruise again. That's exactly what this passage is talking about. It's exactly. When you're in the harbor, friends, you have a purpose, and the purpose in the harbor is to recharge your batteries, fill up with fuel, take on all the needed resources you need to go out and do the cruise that God has called you as a vessel to do. Because if you get out into the ocean and you lose power, you're going to drift aimlessly and helplessly and it's going to be, it's going to be a mess. Because you won't be fulfilling the purpose that God put you there to do. He's got you going to certain places, speaking to certain people, doing certain things. But you can't do it under your own power. And if you haven't taken care of yourself with your spirit, your engine may burn up and you'll just be drifting there and you'll be an embarrassment to the cause of Christ wherever you are and what you're doing because you're not fulfilling the purpose that he created you to do as a a vessel, going places to serve him. I think of the church as the harbor. A ship's purpose is not to sit in the harbor all day. A ship's purpose is to be in the harbor for a short period of time to get its batteries charged, to refuel, to take on the resources. But a ship's purpose is to sail. A ship's purpose is to go out and do what it was called to do, to to go to places and carry people to different things and carry things and, and and all those activities that has a purpose. And that's what we're in church this, isn't, this is not the end of our voyage. This is just where we recharge our batteries in worship. This is where we take on fuel and then we go out and we accomplish the things in the world, not drifting aimlessly, not drifting into mediocrity, not drifting without power, but under the power of God, the love of God, which we have not abandoned, 
Because apart from that, we can do nothing. And even if we try, what we do will mean nothing. Because without love, it's meaningless. Either be in harbor, taking on supplies, or be at sea under power, doing what you're supposed to be doing, and therefore fulfilling the cause of Christ. And if you do that, John says, through the revelation, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. As I mentioned 30 years earlier, Paul is in Ephesus and he's exhorting them to love. By about the second century, Bishop Ignatius refers to a church at Ephesus and he says, it is largely dead, largely disappeared, largely gone. I'm afraid the Ephesian church didn't heed God's revelation through John and eventually passed from the scene. That can happen to any church that doesn't remember its first love and keep those things fresh that makes that love powerful. Let's bow together. Father, as as individual Christians and as a church, we remember what it was like when we were first saved. And and maybe even more so when we decided to get serious in our relationship with you, when we recommitted our lives and and we wanted you to have control of every area, every arena of, of our activity and business and opportunities and relationships. We wanted you to be Lord, not just our Savior, but the Lord of all of our lives. And we walked in close fellowship and harmony with you for a season. And, and then after time, we got comfortable and familiar and, and we let our relationship kind of fade. And that love that was once red hot and passionate grew cold. And we have abandoned it. And we're still going through the motions superficially, but how long can that be sustained without a fire within to empower it? And so God, remind us today of what it once was to be close with you. And Father, we repent of the distance we have fallen. And we want to recommit, every one of us here today, Lord, we want to recommit to doing those things that were once important in our lives that enable us to walk in closer fellowship with you, develop more intimacy with you, and listen to you and talk to you more than ever before. We offer ourselves to you this day. And as a church, Lord, we don't want to fall from the love. The church built on love. We don't want it to just be built on love. We want it to be sustained on love, even today. And so help us to remember your love for us and to do those things that will rekindle our love for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our invitation to him this morning is number 307, just as I am. That's the great message of the gospel right there, friends. There's nothing that you have to do. There's nothing you can do to earn or deserve God's love. It's just as you are. You just have to humble yourselves and say, God, I can't do it by myself. 
I want this love in my life. I want this joy that I was talking about with the children. I want this happiness, but I can't cultivate it by myself. Come into me, Lord, and fill me and make me yours. Remind me of your love for me and help me respond in like love, just as I am. 307, I'll be at the front to receive you. If you need to profess your faith publicly, if you'd like to join our church, if you need to come to the altar and and pray and, and recommit your life, rededicate your life, whatever decision, you come while we stand and sing. I'll be at the front.
Thank you, BC. We want to introduce you to one making a decision public here this morning. But as we do so, I, I want to just mention a couple of things that I've noticed in our worship service. First, I want to welcome back Chad Cottle, who has just completed a nine-year tour of duty in Afghanistan. Nine-month tour of duty. It felt like nine years. I know it did. Chad, thank you for your service uh, as, a, as a chaplain in Afghanistan. We appreciate you. Also, I see Chris and Katie Knowles here. Uh, they are, in a few weeks, returning to Mozambique for another four-year um, mission time there. They're completing their stateside assignment. And uh, Chris and Katie, I'm, I'm, would you mind coming up here? And we just want to pray for you as you get ready to leave. Because while I was thinking about this, I mean, I know in Tet, Mozambique, when it gets over 100 degrees and you're out there working, I was thinking about this while I was preaching. It would be so easy to work and work and work and, and that first love that you just got to keep fresh, that you have just got to stay, stay connected to, um, just to serve him faithfully and not get discouraged and uh, just keep doing what you're doing. So I, I just want to, can we just say a prayer for Chris and Katie as they prepare to head back to Mozambique? God, I thank you for Chris and Katie, for the years of ministry they've already served in Mozambique and for the mission that you have in store for them as they return. I pray for their beautiful children, Lord, that you will watch over and protect them and that Chris and Katie will stay close to each other, Lord, and even more importantly, close to you. So that as they serve in that outback, in that, that country that is so lost and so many folks have never heard even the name of Jesus once, Lord, they'll stay close to you and they'll have the energy and the passion and the desire that they need when they grow weary and well-doing because it because you'll be within them, filling them and using them and um, working through them, overflowing through their lives to do what they need to do. Lord, bless their families that they leave behind and um, just keep them close to you as they go and serve and work through them and do mighty things, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all stay right here. I'm going to let folks come by and speak to you as well. Shara Clay, would you come and stand with me? Ms. Shara comes. She's moved recently from California to Tifton, and, and she said when she first was saved, she came forward on Just As I Am, and this was the right song that she came today to join our church by statement from uh, a different denomination out in California, but she was raised Baptist, and so she's been baptized by immersion and has that profession of faith in Jesus that is uh, living within her and empowering her. So if you join with me in, in welcoming Shara upon transfer by statement, would you let it be known by saying amen? Amen, amen and we welcome you. you. We'll stay right here too. Okay. Please come by and speak to Chris and Katie. They're leaving March the 5th. I, I, I was, got your last email and I know the container has... It's, it's in Atlanta. Somewhere. It's somewhere. The container that is already being shipped. Were y'all able to get it loaded when it wasn't raining? Thank goodness, because I, I thought it was pouring down rain when y'all were loading it up. But that's en route to Tet Mozambique, and they'll be there for the next four years, serving our Lord with energy.